It's a live one today, that microphone. All right, let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross to die for our sins, that you raised him from the dead. And whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, will never perish, but has eternal life. And you've declared each and every believer in your son to be righteous in your eyes. We want to thank you for that amazing gift. We also want to thank you for the gift of your word in the Bible. We want to thank you for the spirit that dwells in our hearts and for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who dwells in us as well. We thank you also, Father, for the body that you've brought around us. We pray this morning, Father, for the needs of the saints in particular. We pray for the persecuted church around the world. And we would ask, Father, that you would motivate us to live out the Christian life in the way that you've called us to do so, as a body and as individuals. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Mark, that was me. If you're wondering why that was out for a minute, I hit the wrong button. Now that's a surprise, right? All right, good morning again, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church this fine day. I want to just remind everybody that this month we're thinking about and praying for and wishing to support Grace Prison Ministries, Keith and Starling. And quite simply, they exist and they work to change the lives of prisoners. They do that through evangelism, preaching the gospel, and sound Bible teaching where Keithian goes to prisons on a regular basis and teaches the prisoners there. Their website, to learn more again, is www.graceprisons.org. A couple of set schedule items. Today, it's not on the slide, but 10 minutes after service, we're going to have our outreach session. Outreach today, 10 minutes after service. Looking forward to that. Also, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's a great time when we keep, keep into remembrance and worship the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and how his resurrection assures believers of their resurrection. So we'll see that next Sunday. All right. Then the week after that, I'm going to be in Arizona for the Baran Ministries Bible Conference. I'm going to be teaching alongside Pastor Rory Clark. So that's two weeks from today. And then the week after that, Pastor Kingsley will be here. So I travel The last Sunday of the month, he travels the first Sunday of May. So that's how it's going to be. Hope that uh, you all are here to welcome him and to uh, hear more about his ministry as well. All right, a giving reminder. Talked about this last Sunday. We have uh, some orphans that are in the Race Bible Church, Pakistan Orphanage. And uh, they need our help. They need to be supported financially and with prayer, as does the entire um, uh, orphanage there in Pakistan. Um, last week, uh, I didn't give you their names. I'm not going to give them today, but they're posted on our website. All right. I invite you to just go to um, the post, Orphans in Need at the GBC Pakistan 316 Home. Whew, that's a mouthful. Let me try that again. Orphans in Need at the GBC Pakistan 316 Home. All right. That's on our website, www.lbible.org. And there it is, okay? So how do you get there? You go to our website, www.lbible.org. One of our menu items is posts. You click on that, and then you'll see this one. There it is again, Orphans in Need at the GBC Pakistan 316 Home. And it'll give you lots of information about Shanaz and Yousef 
and how it is if you want, if you wish to, to be a sponsor of them, how you go about doing that. There's an email address there that you contact Carrie, who's the secretary of Grace Bible Church, Pakistan. All right, let's begin today. The message today, the title is The Things of the Spirit. We are now in chapter 2 of the letter of 1 Corinthians. We've seen already how Paul has described the fact that to the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of the cross, is foolishness. And last Sunday, we saw the ways in which the message of the cross comes across as foolishness to the world. We saw the foolishness of God demonstrated in three different ways. One per paragraph from 1 Corinthians 1.18 through 1 Corinthians 2.5. That was last week. What we saw there was that the demonstration of God's foolishness in terms of the world's eyes is in three places. Remember, it was the message preached. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The word of the cross, the message itself, but to those who are the call that is the power of God. The second way, remember that, we, that Paul pointed out the foolishness in the world's eyes is in the people he called to hear it. The message, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. That's the second way, the message itself, the people that were called to hear it, and then finally the preacher that he sent to preach it, Paul. It is weakness condition and his, his fear and his trembling and not in persuasive words of wisdom. Well, today we pick up in chapter 2, starting in verse 4. I'd like you to turn there now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. All right, this is the tail end of where we were last Sunday. So we're going to pick it up here and then move forward. We're going to see one thing that Paul introduces in verse 4 that he's going to pick up and focus on in the rest of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, my message and my preaching were not and persuasive words of wisdom. Instead, they were a demonstration. All right, demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not to persuade, but to demonstrate. His words demonstrated the Spirit and the power of God. Demonstrated the fact that the Spirit was in him. The Spirit had taught him the message that he was preaching. And that that very message is the power of God. For righteousness to those who believe. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Because if it rests on the wisdom of men, it's on a very shaky foundation. Because the wisdom of men is fallible. Not only that, as we're going to see today, it can't even access the simplest thing about God. All the wisdom of the world can tell you nothing about God. Keep that in mind. You can go and become uh, an expert in, in theology in one of the world's universities, and yet not know anything about God. Just realize that. Why? Because it's not on the wisdom. It's not on man, what man can sense and hear and see. It's not what, how we think inside God is. None of that matters. All right? It's when the message from God is given to the, the, the apostles first, written in the word of God, preached today. That's the power. That's where you learn about who God is. Your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Well, today as we go into the last part, last section rather, of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to learn something. We're going to learn why. Why is it that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are being saved? Why, what, what is it? Why is it that believers can see, you and I as believers, we can see things about God, about the cross, about who we are in Christ, that the worldly wise cannot see, cannot see. All right? They won't see it because they cannot see it. 
Well, as we see in verse 4, we just read, the, the, the Holy Spirit is mentioned for the first time in this letter, in that verse. And he will now be the central figure from here to the end of the chapter. And here, this section of 1 Corinthians, from chapter 2, verse 6, as we'll get to in a minute, through 16, it basically explains the night and day difference between the wisdom of the gospel and the wisdom of the world. But in preparation for that, let's go back and please look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. We're going to see here two kinds of people. And by the way, these two kinds of people we're going to find again in, in chapter 2, from verse 6 to the end of the chapter. Notice, verse, verse, verse 18. For the word of the cross, the message of the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are of this world, those who are of this age, those who are the worldly wise, those who think like the world, those whose point of view is limited to what they can see and hear, those people are perishing. Well, it turns out that the word of the cross is foolishness to those people, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But here's the question. Yes, we have these two kinds of people, those who are perishing and those who are being saved. But here's the question. Why? Why is it? I don't know if you stopped to think about this as we were looking at this subject, but why is it that the cross, the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing? And yet the opposite is true of those who are being saved. The same word of the cross is the power of God to us who are being saved. And again, we have two kinds of people. But the question is, what accounts for the totally opposite assessments they make about the word of the cross? In other words, one group looks at the message of the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, died for our sins, and rose again, and they pass it off as foolishness. And yet the, the, yet the same exact message. There's another group of people, those who are being saved, who hears the same message. And it sees it for what it is, the very power of God for salvation. Why is that? By the way, that goes on in churches every Sunday. There are those who hear the word of God as the very power of God. And there are those for whom it doesn't make any sense. Well, what's the difference between these two people? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And the next section that we're now going to spend today on tells us why. Provides the answer to that question. Let's continue now in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2.6, yet. Now, he just said that we, we didn't speak in words of wisdom, meaning the world's wisdom, and yet he says we do speak wisdom. Do you see that? Two kinds of wisdom. James talked about that. Remember, he said there's a, there's a wisdom that's earthy, and there's a you know, wisdom that's heavenly. Well, this is the same thing here. We do speak wisdom, but it's not the world's wisdom. Well, what is it? It's among those who are mature. It's among those who are believers, who are perfected by the cross and being declared righteous. But it's a wisdom that's not of this age. That's why you can go to the the worldly wise, to academia, and they don't have this, unless they're believers in Christ. This is not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of the rulers of this age. The mighty people, the leaders who are passing away. This world, as John tells us in 1 John, is passing away, but the word of God endures forever. He's saying here that, listen, the wisdom that is of this age, the things that people consider to be wise, sometimes, you know, we even call it the conventional wisdom, right? Well, that's not, that is passing away, friends. 
Why? Because, because the only thing that will be preserved forever is the word of God. And that's the only wisdom that is real wisdom. That's what he's saying. A wisdom, however, not of this age. Not of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We speak God's wisdom. But notice this. In a mystery. Note that's really important to understand. Again, we're answering the question, why is it that to those who are perishing, the word of the cross is foolishness, but to we who are being saved, it is the very power of God? And the answer is that God is hiding this in a mystery. Now, he's not really hiding it, but it is in a mystery. We'll see what that word, that word's very important to understand in Paul's letters, that word mystery. You know, it's not, it's not a mystery thriller. It's not, for, it's not for those for special people who are, who are um, in, in, a, in a cult that they have something nobody else has. It's not like that. You know, you have to be initiated and all that kind of stuff. And then you, and there's, there's false religions today that say you have to come up in steps all the way to the top of the ladder. And then you're wise and then you know the mystery. That, well, that's not it at all. What is it? Notice, he tells us. He says, listen, this is the hidden wisdom which God predestined. In other words... In eternity past, before the ages, God predestined it. God said, I have this wisdom, and I, I obviously, I'm God, I know what it is, but I'm holding it. I'm predestining that this wisdom will one day be revealed to people. All right? And that will be for the purpose of the, the glory of those people. That's what a mystery is. A mystery is something that has been hidden until God decided to reveal it. And he decided to reveal it to his children, to the not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, but those who are being saved. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom, notice this, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. Notice in in Paul's day why that was. Well, if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen. Remember, the wisdom of this world relies on things the eye has seen. Right? I mean, you think about it. What, what do people consider wisdom today? You know, that's a great question, actually. But, but, but seriously, it, it comes down to what other people have seen and other ears have heard. Well, when I went to college, I heard about this wisdom of, so- of so- not Solomon, wisdom, that's real wisdom, wisdom of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. I learned about the great scientists in history, Newton and Galileo, and they, they focused on things that they could see and hear, and man, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's, it's really true wisdom. That's really how mankind can be perfected, using science and using the wisdom of the ancients and all that. Well, those things, though, of God, his wisdom, the eye has not seen. No natural eye has ever seen it. No ear of the worldly has ever heard this. In fact, it's never even entered the heart of the men, the unbelievers. It's never, they have no idea about this. And then he says, however, all that God has prepared, when? From eternity past, before the ages, to who? Those who love him. That's the believers in the church age. For to us, believers, God revealed them. Not to everybody, but to us. God revealed them how? Through the Spirit. That's the message today. I mean, I'm not going to quit and go off the pulpit now, but God revealed these things through the Spirit. Why? The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Man's eyes can't do that. 
Man's ears can't hear that. The heart of man can't understand the first thing about the depths of God, which is why we need the Spirit, which is why God decided to use the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to believers, to believers, so that we, believers, may know the things freely given to us by God. And in particular, we'll see this in a minute, we here refers, first of all, to the apostles. They were the first to have these things revealed and known, freely given, but then notice which things we also speak. So they were revealed, they were understood, and then they were spoken. All right, that's all the, that's all going on through the apostles. All right, they had these things revealed, they had these things explained, and then what they understood, they then were given the words to speak. Notice which things we also speak. Here we go again, not in words taught by human wisdom. That's why Paul didn't even try when he, when he preached the gospel. He says, no, the words which I'm preaching, the words which are power and of the Spirit, they, they were taught to me. The words were taught to me by the Spirit. And then we have that phrase we'll see in, in a little while, combining spiritual with spiritual. I say it that way because thoughts and words are not in the Greek text. Combining spiritual with spiritual. But... But means changing the subject. Again, what's this? A natural man. A man who does not have the spirit. The unbeliever. Those who are perishing. Notice this. Does not accept. Refuses to hear him. Does not accept. I'm not going to let that even get into my consciousness. Does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Why should I even listen to foolishness? The man of the world says. And he not only that, but he cannot understand them. You know how it is you reject what you cannot understand? Yeah, Peter would say that later about Paul's writings. He would say, you know, there are marvelous mysteries in that, but there are those who just butcher them because they don't understand them. And that's the same thing here. The unbeliever, the natural man, cannot understand these things because they are spiritually appraised. You think about that. The mysteries that have been taught to us about the cross of Jesus Christ are things that the natural-minded man cannot, cannot understand. They will not, and they cannot. Those are two different things, right? We, we often focus on the will not. Oh man, this person is so stubborn, he won't even listen to me when I preach the cross. We forget about the cannot. <laughs> cannot understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually appraised. But, there's another but, what does that mean? Back to another subject, right? In other words, he talks a little bit about the natural man. Then he's going to talk a little bit about the spiritual. He who is spiritual. And then that's going to end the chapter. For he who is spiritual. We're going to say this just simply means he who has the spirit. Because that's what he's doing in chapter 2. He's just comparing two kinds of people. Those who are perishing. Those who are being saved. Those who are natural Unbelievers, those who are spiritual, the ones who have the Spirit, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. We'll get into that. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? That's from the Old Testament. Keeping in mind that the Old Testament saints did not have the Spirit in terms of availability like we do. So so then they were thinking, no one can know the mind of the Lord. No one can instruct the Lord. Job tried, remember? Maybe you, if you've read the book of Job, you know, he tried. He says, Lord, I'm going to tell you now, you're not being fair. Can you think of the audacity of somebody to say that who doesn't know the mind of the Lord? 
Yeah. And he will instruct them. But we, here's the amazing thing. We, believers, those who have the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. And at the end, we're going to see what that mind is, what Paul's talking about here. All right, back to verse 6. I want you to notice, first of all, that Paul switches from I to we. Notice in verse 5, verse 4, verse, I don't know where I is. Well, verse, verse 4, my message, my preaching. He's talking about himself. But when he gets to verse 6, he says, yet we. What he's doing there is he's bringing in the other apostles. Those that were around him that were teaching alongside him. Right? Those that were with him when he wrote these letters. We do speak wisdom. But to who? Among those who are mature. Perfect is the word. A wisdom, however, not of this age. Not of the rulers of this age who are passing away. Right here he's talking about wisdom again. He said, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's amazing because you want to know why? I mean, these are rulers like Pilate. Okay? Like the high priest, Caiaphas. These kind of people. And it's interesting what they represent. You, you see, you see um, Pilate represented the greatest government of the age. The greatest. The republic. All right? Turned into a, into a dictatorship. But it was the most powerful government. It worked. It kept the peace across the whole empire. All right? The most powerful, um, greatest government at that time. That's, that's who Pilate represented. Well, he and by extension they, the greatest government, crucified the Son of God. Not only that, but Caiaphas represented the greatest religion in the world at that time. The religion of the Jews. And yet, he crucified the Lord of glory. The religion that was the greatest religion in the world ended up crucifying the Lord of glory. No worldly wisdom. None of those who are seeking for signs. No. Why? Because. Because they did not understand who Christ is. They didn't understand God's plan. And they would not have crucified him. Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I'm going to tell you that as we move in this section from verse 6 to verse 16, the text moves. In other words, there's a progression. We're going to see that basically there's four phases of of this paragraph. There's four subjects that he moves one to the next. Here, he is talking about the wisdom. Notice in verses 6 through 10, we've just read it twice. He's talking about the wisdom, God's wisdom. It's supernatural. That's why the natural man can't understand it. It's supernatural. Why? It comes from God. It comes from God. So often, I think we forget that. I think we we, we say, yeah, I'm going to go here. I'm going to study the Bible. But we forget that the power of the Word of God is because it comes from God. It literally comes from God. We'll see more of this. Paul's going to spell this out later on. Paul does speak a wisdom, but it's wisdom from God. Not worldly wisdom. It's not what you could ever see or hear or could think about. It's wisdom from God. 
And those rulers of the world, Pilate, Caiaphas, they didn't, could not understand it. Why? As we've seen, this wisdom is hidden wisdom. It's a mystery. And again, that simply means that it was unknown throughout the ages. It was unknown. It was unknown to Adam all the way through to the day that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. Because it's only at that point where the Spirit came down. And the men, all the men who were believers and women, had the Spirit. Think about the, the immense stretch of time that that represented. Thousands of years, this wisdom was hidden. It was hidden. It was unknown throughout the ages. And by the way, it's still unknown. Even today, it's unknown except by that group of people that God has willed to make it known to them, those who love him. By the way, those are believers in Christ. He has willed to make known this hidden wisdom to believers. To believers, to those who are being saved. That's amazing. It really is. We, we have to understand that. Think about it. The things that we live in and dwell in and the truths that we have about the cross and the resurrection and Christ and us being in Him, those are hidden truths. That's hidden wisdom. That's something that was not known all, right, all the way through the Old Testament. It wasn't known, again, really known until Jesus ascended into heaven and the Spirit came down. That's exciting. But we, why? Because we, it's been made known to us. It's been revealed to us. Again, natural-minded, the human eye, naturally speaking, can't see this wisdom. Natural ear can't hear it. It's spoken and they can't hear it. They don't know what's... Remember, he says that they have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they will not hear. Lest I, they be converted and I save them. Human heart won't accept it. Because it doesn't understand it. Okay, that's the first subject. That's the first stage of this progression. Next, this leads to the next subject. It starts in verse 10. 10 and 11. It moves to the second subject. What is that? How? It talks about the wisdom itself, that it's a mystery, revealed now to believers... But then it asks the second question. Well, how does God reveal this hidden wisdom to believers? How? And there we have it, verse 10. For to us, believers in Christ, God revealed them, the hidden wisdom, the mystery, through the Spirit. Simply put, but a powerful, powerful statement. That's often the case in the Word of God. I'm studying for the resurrection message. You know, it was the most powerful, amazing, impactful message that was ever given about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Want to guess? Anybody? All right, I'll tell you. I have seen the Lord. A very simple statement made by a woman, by the way. It was the most powerful message of the resurrection there ever was. That set everything in motion. It set Peter and John rushing to to the tomb. And then they brought back the message to the rest of the apostles. And then they saw Jesus. And then others saw him. And then he went up to heaven. And then they preached the word of God. It all started with a simple message by a humble woman. I've seen the Lord. What's the same thing here? To us, God revealed them through the Spirit. That's how. Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Of course he does. He's God. Even the depths of God. All right. 
Analogy time. Who among men, who among us knows our thoughts, the thoughts of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him? The inner us. Even so, the thoughts of God make sense. No one knows except the spirit of God. So don't kid ourselves. The reason we know what we know is because of the spirit of God who reveals it to us. So it's through the spirit. That's how God reveals his hidden wisdom to believers. Period. So the point, and I've got to learn this the hard way. The point is that it's really not how smart we are or how you know long and hard we study something and look up the Greek. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are the tools of the pastor. But really, the message, the wisdom, the power of it is revealed by the Spirit. Is revealed by the Spirit. That's why Paul didn't use words of worldly wisdom. God revealed the wisdom, the, the very wisdom of his total plan for us. He predestined us all the way back before the ages for glory. The church. And the word of the cross was the message. It was the power and the wisdom of God. But he revealed all these three things to us through the Spirit. Period. In other words, those two kinds of people, the night and day difference between us who are being saved and those who are perishing, there's only two kinds of people in this world, us who are being saved, those who are perishing, the difference between them is simple. One has the Spirit of God and the other does not. Very simple. We make it complicated. We try to explain all kinds of things. Well, you had a bad childhood and, you know, and I, I, I really, you know, I was great and I searched for the Lord and then I believed in Him. Well, actually, the real difference between us and them is none of those things. <laughs> the difference is that one of us has the Spirit of God and the other does not. Now, I'm not preaching Calvinism by any means. What I'm saying is is that some do not have the ability and others have been given by grace the ability. And what is that gift? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. All right? And this is what it says. He revealed these things to us through the Spirit. The word of the cross. This is what he's talking about. This was the message he started with. By the way, he did that because he was getting to the, why is it that it's so wrong for believers to have rivalries and frictions and conflicts? And it's all because of the fact that none of us, none of us were saved because of, of Apollos or Paul or Peter or their right, no, well, their writings, yes. None of us were saved. It wasn't by man. You see, it's by the word of the cross. There's the wisdom. And that's what he's telling us. He's saying these mysteries were hidden by God and kept by God until he decided to reveal them. And how? By the Spirit. No human being can know these things unless God shows them to him. That's why you know these things. God showed them to you through the Spirit. That's the only way we can know any of these things. Because quite simply, only God knows God. Does that make sense? I know it sounds too simple. Maybe, you know, I'm just kind of playing with words. I'm not. Only God knows God. All about God. All of how he thinks. All of the mysteries. All of the hidden wisdom. The Spirit is the one who knows all the thoughts of God. Even the deepest, most hidden ones. 
By the way, this does not say that he reveals all these things to us. He surely does not. For example, one of the things that God knows is the time of the rapture and the time of the second coming. God knows everybody who's a believer and everybody does not. But does he share that with us? He does not. He has chosen things to reveal to us through the Spirit because the Spirit knows those things and more. And like I said, isn't it true about us? Let me ask you something. Who's the only human being who knows all of your thoughts, even your deepest thoughts? Yeah, there's one person. You. <laughs> you. Oh, yeah, some people will you know, say, well, I have my soul partner, and I tell her everything. No, you don't. You tell her the good things, maybe. You don't tell her everything. You don't tell her those things that you wrestle with in the middle of the night. You don't tell those thoughts that you don't want anybody to ever know about. You don't. See, unlike God, we have good thoughts and bad thoughts. But in any event, nobody knows all our thoughts but us. No human being. God does. Christ does. But no other human being does except you. All right, let's go to the third stage here, verse 12. Now, we, those who love God, those who are being saved, we have received not the spirit of the world. This has got nothing to do with any worldly revelation. But the spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. All right. And here in particular, the we means Paul and the fellow apostles. So the first thing is, they've received this message, this hidden wisdom from the spirit. Then we, are, we know those things. By means of the Spirit explaining them. And that happens in the heart. Isn't it true that a lot of things we know that we can't express? Isn't it true that Paul went to heaven and he saw things that were inexpressible? Isn't it true that when we pray, at times we don't know the words and we have the Spirit pray through us with groanings too deep for words? There are things that we know that are inside us that we cannot put into words. But see, the apostles could. Because not only did God reveal these things, not only did the Spirit explain it to them in their inner man, but He did one other thing. Notice verse 13. Which things we also speak. You see, if it was just what was revealed and understood by the apostles, it would have died with them. And we wouldn't know about them. But also the Spirit allowed them to speak and also to write. And where did those words come from? In other words, they didn't, they didn't say, wow, let me, have, let me come up with a great way to explain what's been revealed to me. That's what we think. That's how we would do it. But no, that is not how it works. How does it work? Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those very words taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual with spiritual. So here, starting in verse 12, he returns to the preaching of the word of the cross. The preaching. He's talked about the message. Again, the wisdom, hidden wisdom. He's talked about how God reveals it. The Holy Spirit. And now he's talking about how is it that apostles end up preaching what they preach. The word of the cross. And he says here, it's because God revealed it to them. The Holy Spirit made it understandable to them. And then they spoke words given to them by the Spirit. That's, by the way, the reverence with which we should hold God's word. And we're going to see this in a minute. Every word in the the Greek and Hebrew texts, 
of the Bible were words that were taught the writers of those books directly by the Holy Spirit. I didn't just make that up. I didn't just write a PhD thesis on it. That's what this passage tells us, teaches us. The preaching. How, he, he, Paul's saying, now let me talk again about how the preaching that you heard from me, not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He says, listen, I'm preaching the word of cross. This is God's plan to us for all of eternity. How did this happen? Well, there's three stages to this. The first one was it has to be revealed. First stage, God revealed these truths to the apostles. To the apostles. Now, I'm very careful to explain this this way. Because otherwise, you know what happens? Otherwise, people think every Christian gets these truths revealed to them. All right? And I mean their own truths, you know. God told me something. Or I've had a new revelation. Don't buy that ever. It's not true. It's not what this is saying. It's saying we, the apostles, had these truths revealed to us by the Spirit. And they were freely given. This is the God's grace. Didn't have to do it. He freely gave it. So that's the first one. These truths, this hidden wisdom is revealed. Second, the Spirit. They didn't figure it out. The Spirit enabled them to know these things. In other words, to grasp the meaning of the message. <coughs> the meaning of the message. Now that, so first of all, the wisdom is revealed. Second of all, the Spirit allows them to understand the real meaning of it. The apostles. Okay, that's the second thing. And then third, the apostle, I mean the Spirit taught the apostles the very words that they then spoke. The words. You know, not the general idea. <laughs> the very words that they spoke and later wrote were taught them by the Holy Spirit. By the way, that is why a lot of people ask, you know, what, what's the best Bible to study? English translation. And the answer is, those that have been completely faithful to the text, to the Hebrew text and the Greek text. And they don't add their own opinions or viewpoints They don't try to explain it themselves. They give you, in English, as best as can be done, the words. (laughs) The words of Scripture. Word by word. You know, some of these Bibles are like concept by concept. What's the trouble with that? Who comes up with the concept? Man. No, it's the words. The words themselves. That's the power of God. Those very words were taught the apostles by the Spirit. So a fancy way to say this, if you want to impress people. Oh, and by the way, these words today, they were spoken, but today they're in written form in the Bible. And that's the only place. And every word in the Bible, in the Hebrew and the Greek, were words taught to the writer by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, by the way, accomplishes all this with no help from any man. No help from man. That is why... You know, we cannot say that any translation is inspired. It's not. Why? Because what the the translators do is they take the only words that were inspired and do their best to put them into our language. But these words aren't inspired. Those are. Because why? They came directly from the Holy Spirit who taught the apostles. If you want to see the fancy words and impress your neighbors... Of Christian at the Christian cocktail party. Here they are. 
first revelation that we revealed to the apostles. Second, this is the fanciest one of all, illumination. What does that mean? Their eyes, their spiritual eyes were open to the meaning. And then finally, inspiration. Inspiration is simply, these are the words now I want you to teach. I'm teaching you the words that you can then speak to the people. And Paul, by the way, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll come back, of course, to 1 Corinthians 2. But we're coming here because Paul wrote about this. He wrote about it when he wrote to Timothy. When he was telling Timothy how he ought to continue with his ministry, especially after Paul leaves, which he would, he'd die soon after he wrote 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. You, who? Timothy, who'd been close to Paul in many, many of his journeys and was there and he actually was named at the very beginning of some of these letters. That's how closely Paul connected Timothy with his writing and preaching of the words taught by the Spirit. He says, you, however, continue in the things you learn. Think about it. He has to continue in the things he learns. So do we. Some of you might be out there today and say, you know what? I know about the Spirit. I've heard this before. Sure, okay. I'm sure many of us, not all of us, I think probably all of us have. But I want to tell you something. I learn things by slowing down and studying it verse by verse. I mean like last week I learned things. And, but even if, you, even if it's not an intellectual thing, oh, I have new insight. You know, what, you know what else is true? We have to keep hearing these things. We have to keep hearing these things. And it's by hearing them that we learn. We really learn. See, so, so you can have a surface understanding. I talked about this last week. Surface understanding. But that's not what God wants for you. Only, he wants you to understand the depths of it. He doesn't want you to simply know the fact that Christ died on a cross. He wants you to know the meaning of it, what's really behind it. The fact that he defeated all of his enemies there. The fact that he he wiped out all of our sins at the cross. And so much else. He wants you to know those things. So, so, So that's why we keep coming back to the... Remember, every time we come back to these words, where do they come from? The Spirit, God, right? And what do they have? Power. Power. Not just the first time you heard it, but even more now. Even more now. Why? Because you've, you've been trained in righteousness so that the power is overwhelming. That's what he's going to talk about in chapter 3. He's going to say there's some Christians, <laughs> they don't get the power at all. They're Christians. They have the Spirit. But they haven't been trained, and therefore they don't really get it in terms of the depths of the power and the meaning. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. Notice that. Continue in them. You're already convinced. You already know who you learned them from, but continue in those things that you have learned. And then from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. By the way, these are the Old Testament, which shows us that the Old Testament is, is uh, not, you know, not to us in the sense of our life now, but for us, because there's wisdom God's the Holy Spirit inspired every one of those words too. Continue, and now you from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you what? Is that the wisdom of the world? 
No, it's the wisdom from God. The wisdom that does what? Leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, we've seen this already. It's the words that lead to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. That's why it's important to know the words that you preach when you're trying to preach the gospel to the unbeliever. And notice, here we have it, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Remember what inspiration is now. The apostles who had the meaning now were then taught the words to preach and to write to the people so the people would understand them too. What about those words? Does this say, you know, there are some parts of Scripture that actually God inspired? Is that what it says? No. No, it says all. All Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation, is inspired by God. The words. Does that mean when we, when we see the genealogies in the Old Testament that those were inspired word for word by the Holy Spirit? Yes. It means that. So, they, but, so these people that think there's contradictions in the Bible, you know who most of those people are? Those who are perishing. Who don't have the ability to understand these things. So that's what, forget that, all right? That's why you should never try to go and try to go and, and witness on the world's terms. In other words, you hear something like that from some, somebody and you say, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to be smart enough to explain to them why there's no contradiction. Don't bother. Please. They're not doing that because they genuinely want to seek the Lord. They're doing that because what? They don't accept it. And they do not understand it. And therefore, they just want to walk away. That's the only thing they want to do. They don't really care the particular thing that they're telling you is the reason why they're walking away. They just want to walk away. So don't even engage them. Come right back with the very words that the Holy Spirit has inspired. All Scripture is inspired by God. All of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And notice this, for training in righteousness. Paul's going to talk about the fleshly believer in chapter 3. That believer has the spirit. He is spiritual. He who is spiritual just means he has the spirit, but he hasn't been trained in righteousness. How do you do that? By continuing in the things that you've learned. That's how. By growing up. By not staying an infant. But used by, by taking not only the milk, but the meat of the word of God. Not just the surface but the very meat, the meaning of it. Is that you? Oh, that's not, that sounds just like the bat phone. Whoever has that phone, you've, you've duplicated it. <laughs> so where was I? That's, by the way, that's why I don't want phones on. It's, I understand this stuff, but it really does. I forget where I am. I'm, I'm almost 60. You know, People are sitting there saying, yeah, that's nothing. But in any event, all of it's inspired by God. All of it is for training in righteousness. That's the difference between fleshly, infantile believers and grown-up, mature believers. They've been trained in righteousness. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The words, I love this because it's in the Greek, it's theopanoustos. I'm not showing off. I just love that word. It just means God-breathed. Every word in the Hebrew and the Greek was literally breathed by God so that the apostles could teach it and write it, so that the prophets could teach it and write it, so that Moses could teach it and write it. 
all words are God-breathed. And again, it's the words in the Hebrew and the Greek. The English translations are not inspired. We do the best we can, translators do, in taking the God-breathed words in the Hebrew and the Greek, and they do their best to translate them into English. Verse 13. Please go back now to 1 Corinthians. Verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. Again, this fourth subject, hmm, third, is the preaching of the word of God, how it came to be. Verse 13, we, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit. And here's that final phrase we're going to take a look at now. Combining spiritual with spiritual. I want to give it a little different thing because the word, the verb that's translated combining in the New American Standard, it's actually, it actually means explaining. Explaining. Explaining things. Explaining spiritual with spiritual. And again, the word thoughts and words are not in the Greek text. Okay, because it's not enough. We'll see in a minute. Explaining spiritual with spiritual. What does that phrase mean, you might ask? Good question. Whenever we don't understand the meaning of a passage, what's the first thing we ought to do every time? Anybody? Look at the neighborhood. Remember? Context, context, context. That's how. We don't think about it. Gee, I think it might be this. We look at the context. Almost always the context will explain it, and this is no different. What is the statements right before have they said? They say that God freely revealed formerly hidden wisdom, the death of Christ on the cross and the plan of God, and then the Spirit made that wisdom understandable to the apostles, and the Spirit gave the apostles the words so that they could communicate these marvelous things to the saints. In other words... Explaining things of the Spirit by means of words taught by the Spirit. You can't leave that out, in other words. You can't just say, you know, and I mean, it's right as far as it goes, but thoughts and words, well, that could be anything. No, it's the things of the Spirit taught by means of the words taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual, the things of the Spirit, combined together, linked, so that what was, what was revealed and understood by the apostles is not linked, with the very words that the Spirit taught them to preach and to write. Explaining the things of the Spirit by means of the words taught by the Spirit. Pair up these, the spiritual meaning with words that were taught by the Spirit. Why? Very simply. So what is known can now be spoken. That simple. What is known can now be spoken with total accuracy. All right. All right, let's finish up now. We're going to take a look now at two kinds of men. Two kinds of men. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. But a natural man, that's the one kind, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. This is just simply the unbeliever. Paul is dividing up all human beings into two camps in chapter 2. Just two. Okay? A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual, the one who has the Spirit, appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. 
Well, who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The final subject turns to these two kinds of people in the world and sizes them up according to one criterion, according to the things of the Spirit of God. They are called the natural man, the unbeliever, and he who is spiritual, the believer who has the Spirit. Human race is two categories. All unbelievers are natural men. All believers are those who are spiritual. That's what chapter 2 is about. Chapter 3, we'll get into another issue. But for now, it's just very simply. Remember, the focus in chapter 2 is the spirit. And he's saying the difference between the natural man and he who is spiritual is that the spiritual have the spirit of God. Oh, yeah. The spiritual have the spirit of God. The natural do not have the spirit. That's the only difference. I mean, what a difference it is. Natural man does not have the spirit of God. The spiritual have the spirit of God. Again, the human race, Paul divides in chapter 2 into just two categories, natural and spiritual. And in chapter 3, I mentioned there will be a further distinction, but it's not in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he's going to take that group, they who are spiritual, and then he's going to write about some of them. And he's going to call them fleshly believers. We'll get to that next two weeks, three weeks from now. Three weeks? Why? Because next week is Resurrection Sunday and I'm not here. Anyway, yeah. You write about a further distinction in chapter 3. Because all saints may have the ability to understand the things of the Spirit, but unfortunately, there are saints who don't use that ability very much. They're not trained. They remain babies. But they're still spiritual because that means that they have the Spirit of God. Natural man will not accept the things of the Spirit. He pushes them away. Why does he do so? Because they're foolishness to him. That's why. Why should I listen to that? That's ridiculous. Right? Yeah. People do that all the time. But why they really do it? Mm. They don't understand them. They don't understand them. It's foolishness because they don't understand them. What what, what are they saying? Well, they're spiritually appraised. And we've seen this. I'm going to keep repeating it. You need the Spirit to understand these things. That's the one thing that the natural man does not have. It's nonsense to him. He has no ability to discern the things of the Spirit. I have to give you this. All right? These are not my words. These are Calvin. You ever hear of John Calvin? I love his description of the natural man. Faced with God's revelation, the unbeliever is like an ass at a concert. Don't you love that? Picture a donkey listening to Beethoven. Right? Totally disinterested. All he's doing is causing a commotion. Right? That's what a donkey does. Well, that's the natural man when he tries to, when he's hearing the revelation from God. Totally disinterested. In other words, the natural man is a different beast altogether than the man who has the spirit. The man who has the spirit appraises, discerns, evaluates all things. Believers have that ability. The verb about appraise means to investigate, to examine. Notice we have the ability to investigate or examine. But not all those who are spiritual, who have the ability, actually use that ability. Just keep that in mind. That'll set us up for next week. And by the way, it says all things. All is a great big word. Can we agree on that? It's a, all is a great big word. Well, it simply means that we, who are spiritual, have the ability to investigate natural things as well as spiritual things. 
We can look at the world and we can see the evil. We can distinguish between, well, that's from God and that isn't. Can we not? Those are natural things out there. We have that ability and the spiritual things. Why do we have that ability? We have the Spirit. Thank you, Cheryl. Very simple. Those who have the Spirit, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, one time to go there, we are a new creature. All things passed away. All things are new. We are literally a different species. Think about this. Think about this. We don't think about this, usually. We're out in the world and we're dealing with unbelievers. Okay, we're just trying to like think about them and where they come from. And, and I'm not saying that's not right. But the first thing you have to understand is that we are a different species than them. That's so important to realize that. Why? Because the one thing they need that they don't have is the Spirit of God. A natural man cannot examine or investigate us. The one who is spiritual. Why? Well, can a donkey understand or investigate his owner? You see, see, we have the spirit. That's what makes us different, a different species. That's, that is totally closed off to the natural man. The natural man knows nothing, nothing about how God thinks. He may think there's a God, but he doesn't know how God thinks. Those are two very different things. It's laughable, think about it, that the world would try to pass judgment on us who have the Spirit of God. Not because we're anything, but because the Spirit of God is all the difference. They have no access to the things of the Spirit, so they really have no basis for investigating or evaluating us. (laughs) And then finally, (coughs) through the teachings of the apostles, the Bible, the written Word of God, we can literally know the mind or the thinking of Christ where he is now, at the right hand of the Father. What, where, what he thought when he was here, we can have that mind. We can have that thinking. You might say, what is that? What is that mind? Well, the Bible tells us, and it's really straightforward, and this is where we'll end. Philippians 2. What is the mind of Christ? Philippians 2, 1-12. You know, in a word, the mind of Christ is love. You want to know. One word, love. Love. Why did he go to the cross for us? What about, what about our relationship to him? He loved us. God so loved the world. What did he tell us? He says, as love one another as I have loved you. That's what he told us. So the whole thing is love. But let's see how it plays out. How does this mind actually work? Philippians 2, 1 to 12. I'm just going to read this. And this is where we're going to end with this passage. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there certainly is, if there's any consolation of love, and there certainly is, Philippians 2, 1 to 12. If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, and there certainly is, if any affection and compassion... Paul writes, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, the mind of Christ, 
which we all share because we're all, we all make up the body of Christ. He's the head, and therefore his mind is accessible to us, the body. He says, maintain, be complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same what? Love. United together in spirit. Intent on one purpose. This is the mind of Christ. He wants us to be intent on one purpose. He wants us to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's not love. But rather with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's love. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's love. Have this attitude, actually mind, thinking in yourself, which was also in Christ. Here's his mind. What was it? Although he existed in the form of God, (coughs) he did not. This is not a great translation. But it just basically says that he, he was God, but he didn't, he didn't use his godly ability while he was here on earth. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men. And here's how much he loved us. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the mind of Christ. Sacrificial. Yeah, it's not some esoteric, deeper truth. It's right here. It's love. It's sacrificing for others, thinking of others. Well, what what will ultimately happen with Christ and with us who who are living this life? For this reason also God highly exalted him. Bestowed on him, Christ, the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the mind of Christ. Next time you read verse 16 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, now you know. If you want to know what the mind of Christ is, head over to Philippians chapter 2 and you can read all about it. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for another message from your word. We thank you that we've seen that spirit is the difference between we who are spiritual and the natural man. We, we thank you moreover that we understand that, he, that you have re- revealed these things through us, through the Spirit, by revealing them to the apostles who first understood them because they were explained to them by the Spirit and then preached and wrote about them with the words that were taught them by the Spirit. So, Father, we ask you today that we would keep these things in mind and that we would understand and have more reverence for the Bible because of what we learned today. And that would also help us to, to understand and to keep in mind these facts about the natural man so that when we witness to the natural man, we understand the one thing that has your power, which is the message of the cross. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our next service is Bible study on Thursday. <laughs> We're beginning our new series on prayer. We began it last week. <laughs> and I'll invite you to come up and speak to me, but we only have a short time today because we got our outreach session happening in 10 minutes over there where all the good food was. All right? That's where we're going to head over. All right? So just a short time, and then we'll do our outreach, kicking that off again this day. All right, let's close again. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that... He is your son. He's God-man. We're all sinners. Christ died for sinners. He died for our sins. That means he died for us. 
You raise him from the dead. Whoever believes this, these truths, that God, that your son is God, that he died for us and rose again. Believe those things, you'll never perish. You have eternal life. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.